And now I would like to introduce our speaker, Peter M. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, once again, thank the group for having me um, 11 out of 12 weeks. Uh, it's been a blast, and I'm grateful for you guys attending and allow me to speak as I move to speak. And uh, for the most part, being very supportive of uh, the words uh, that I were given. Uh, I can't be here next week, uh, work calls. And uh, so I'm self-supporting through my own contributions or the contributions my boss makes to me for showing up for work. So I need to be uh, there next week. So unfortunately, I can't be here. Um, so we'll see where spirit moves us for uh, 10, uh, 11 and 12. Some of you folks have asked me where I'm going next. And um, at the risk of promoting, um, I start September 3rd at the Unity Church in Pompano, uh, saddle up and do one of these 12-weekers again. So. Um, I always talk about attachments, um, how they're fatal, and um, my expectations that come along with attachments and the clinging that can happen, and attachments are uh, uh, not healthy for someone seeking recovery. Um, yet, every time I do one of these, if I'm on the road and I'm doing a, a three-day workshop or uh, I'm doing one of these 12-week things. By the time I wind down, it happens to me all the time. Uh, by the time I wind down, I take all you guys home with me. That's not necessarily a good thing, but I do. Um, and you come in the first few weeks, and, and you're just doing your deal. And by the ninth week, 10th week, 11th and 12th week, um, God will determine when we do this again. But um, you get attached to folks. Um, the comments, the questions, the emails, the phone calls, a little side chatter here and there. And um, it's interesting how that happens uh, when you don't plan on it. Um, so it, I'm really grateful. And I thank you for the kind words you guys have given me um, you know, over the last 12 weeks. It's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, the guys who take me up here, Mark and, and, and Ryan and, and Art sometimes comes up here, Marion. Uh, we have fun in the car here and going home. And... Um, we do it for fun and for free. That's how I do it, for fun and for free. And I can't see myself doing anything else uh, but being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of us want to go different ways. We, we, we worship other things. Uh, some of us in the book, some of us refuse to go into the book and character assassinate those who are. Uh, that's your business, not mine. Uh, but I will say, uh, for me in my house, uh, we worship God and we worship Alcoholics Anonymous. And they're both connected. I worship Alcoholics Anonymous, and I worship my God. I worship my God, and I worship Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, that's how I've been moved to live and approach this with a great sense of urgency since I got here. And to delay makes the choice, the right choice, that much more harder to make. And through the forging out on an anvil, the difficulty and the struggles in early recovery, uh, and the early parts of going through treatment and relapsing and going to AA and relapsing, I was given a gift of desperation. And we hear that a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous, and very often we just give it lip service because it sounds profound, the gift of desperation. Um, but if we get that at a gut level, a cellular level, that it is a gift of desperation, where I'm willing to take direction from those who walked the path before me and not shake my head yes and do what I want anyway, 
Um, that comes through pain and humiliation and degradation where we finally give up on steering the car and uh, close our eyes and let someone else drive. And for some of us, it's kind of like going down 95, you know, 80 miles an hour and taking my hands off the wheel and closing my eyes and say, okay, God, you steer. And that's what our recovery might feel like at the beginning because we're so used to needing to control the outcome. And all I had to do in 1988 was look at what I've done up until that point in driving the car and steering and controlling and trying to have things turn out my way. I was sitting in another treatment center and homeless on the way in. Now that didn't feel good, but it was the, one of the best things that happened to me because it split me wide open. And it's 25 years later and I still have a sponsor that I call on Wednesday night and he gives me direction that sometimes is difficult to swallow but I take direction because they know better. And I seek counsel. And that is part of not only my surrendering to my God every morning on my knees, but surrendering to this process and the continuation of a surrender to God in the form of a sponsor. I don't mean servile or scraping, but surrendering to the direction of a teacher. And if I think I've gotten too big for my teacher, I'm headed for serious trouble. Which can happen once the wrinkles get out of our belly and we have 90 days, six months, or a year, or even double digits, where we don't need a sponsor. I know the information. I'm speaking all over. I'm popular. I don't need to be accountable to someone. When did that start? And it's called reemergence of ego. Uh, Henry Thibault talked about that in his early writings about the reemergence of ego, which we all will get where the ego will start to flex itself and tell us how, what we need to get well to continue on this path. And what it's doing is the big trickster, all coming from the mind, it's pulling us further and further away from this power. And if I don't have a sponsor, and the thought of getting a sponsor means I have to have a commitment to this person, they give me direction, I don't like it, I just touch my ego. Because the ego doesn't want to take direction. And God and ego are diametrically opposed, and they don't get along. But the ego will get grinded into dust through this process, and God, God will always be present. It's the only consistent, constant, pristine being that I could ever be attached to. And sometimes we waver with that. We'll waver on the way in till we bottom out, and then we'll get better. We'll start to feel good, and we'll start to waver again and be double-minded. And I can't worship my mind and God. Can't worship two things. I either have to worship one or not the other. And some of us will come into Alcoholics Anonymous and, and love AA and feel really good. And some genius will say it's a pink cloud and you're going to lose it. No, you don't. There's a young lady floating around here made six months. She's lit up. She doesn't have to lose that. That's God. But we'll come in here and we'll worship the relationship. We'll fall in love with 20 minutes sober, you know, playing the wedding on the first date, you know. And suddenly she becomes God or he becomes God, and I don't need time for meeting because I need to get cozy with him or her. It's our time. And we've got all these distractions that get in the way. And the ego is once again, or the illness has flexed its muscles again, and little by slowly will push me out. And there goes the prayer life, the meditative life, the inventory life, the sponsorship life. I don't want to be bothering me because they're telling me what to do, and I want to do what I want to do. And God becomes him or her. God becomes money. God becomes situations. God becomes life. And I'll, I'll float for a while, but I don't know when the illness is going to show up and pull me down. 
And if I'm sitting in a meeting of alcoholics and I was thinking, well, I'll never use again. I won't go to those extremes. I know what I need to do. I can pull back the reins. I'm really delusional because I'm playing God. And how can I visit God? How can I meet God? How can I pray to God if I'm God? And that's what the ego wants. So we move through this work and uh, we get to step 11. Step 10 talks about entering the world of the spirit. Well, what does my 11-step practice look like? Am I being quick to see where religious people are right? Am I making use of what they offer? Am I working with inspirational books along with, not instead of my big book? Right? Am I disciplined to the spiritual life? I'm either disciplined to a spiritual life or I'm not. I know when I've been not disciplined to a spiritual life, I feel it right away. The road is now where we get sick quick. The further along we get in this day, we get sick quick. You know it right away. And you can only fake it for so long. But have I become disciplined to a spiritual life? Is my spiritual life, via prayer and meditation, the most important thing I do? Is it who I be now? Or is it lip service? And only we can answer that when we look in the mirror eyeball to eyeball. Because the person looking back never lies. That person looking back will tell us we're full of it. That person looking back will say we're in. All in. Journeymen and women. So what's the 11-step practice look like? Well, you know, a lot of folks come to me and say, can you sponsor me? A lot of folks come to me saying, I'm struggling. And one of the first questions I ask when they, when they stop talking, because they just keep talking, that's my first red flag that they're completely untreated. And they just keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, and they keep talking. And it's like Thursday morning, we start this on Monday, and they're still talking, right? And I ask them, uh, do you have a sponsor? Uh, that means no. And I asked them, where are you with amends? Well, I haven't made one in a while. That means you're not making amends. And we can see how the ship is sinking. And no wonder why you're running to a wall. And I asked them about steps 10 and 11. The strict spiritual disciplines of steps 10 and 11. Working with people, sponsoring people. Having a sponsor that we're accountable to. Does my behavior look like someone who's claiming a spiritual path or not? Am I womanizing? And if I'm not addressing my womanizing, am I seeking help for it? Am I chasing men in Alcoholics Anonymous? Am I addressing that? Am I praying? Am I meditating? Am I writing nightly review? Am I accountable to someone? And I ask all these questions, and there's always a pause. But they started off like gangbusters, and then something happened. It's called reemergence of ego, and that's why they come to me and say, what do I need to do? We can't plan that happening. It'll happen, because every one of us will experience the reemergence of the ego, and what are we going to do about it? Now, it's really interesting. I go to some meetings around the country, go to some meetings locally, and we have some folks out there who can recite this big book upside down. God doesn't care about that. What good deeds am I doing? Have I been transformed? Have I had the spiritual transformation in the soul, not in the mind, not in my intellect? Not how well I can quote the big book. Not how well I know my mechanics, because mechanics don't keep me sober. My grand sponsor, Don P., said this to me. He said, kid, can you take someone to the big book, to the 12 steps, without having a big book between the two of you? I said, oh, absolutely not. He said, you got more work to do. Because you're transferring an experience, and you should, those mechanics should be who you be. They should be internalized, and the book should be a bonus. 
Well, that was new information for me. And he shared with me how we can worship the mechanics instead of God. We can worship the intellect instead of God. I can worship who I think I am rather than this power called God, which is all part of my 11 step if I'm all into my 11 step. And I might ruffle feathers, and I don't mean to. If I'm not writing nightly review and I'm not sharing with someone, I'm not being quick to see where religious people are right, if I'm not uh, 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 making amends quickly, if I don't have a prayer meditative life, I don't have an 11 step. And praying in my car is in step 11. Praying on my way to work is nice that I'm praying, but it isn't the 11th step. And if I don't have a meditation life, how come? It's difficult not to listen to my mind because I love the sound of my own voice. But if I'm not sitting in stillness and working with the practice of meditation to get detached, unhooked from my mind, which is constantly talking to me, how could I have experienced the presence of God? Because I can only experience the presence of God in the breath in the moment. And I can't create stillness. I can't invent silence. How can I create that which already exists? It's always present. And if we got still for a minute, we'll see what's always here, quiet, stillness. It'd be great if we can get our mind to get to that place, because then I can hear the voice of God. And we will. But it's not going to happen by just showing up in a meeting of no mechanics. It'll happen through the work, the chopping wood and carrying water, chopping wood and carrying water and plowing the field, and God will do the growing when the ground's fertile. It's not my responsibility when that day is going to happen, just knowing it'll happen. Kind of like when you plant, you get the ground already, you throw good soil in there, and you plant the seeds and you water them every day. You don't know when it's going to sprout, you just know it's going to sprout. And then one morning you come out and say, oh my God, there it is. That's how this works. But I can't delay. It's a great sense of urgency that I must approach this this, this being called God, that I must approach the 12 steps with. And once I'm there, what am I doing to grow in understanding and effectiveness? Now, 11 step, it's interesting. It's split into two pieces, evening and morning. It talks about, let's think about the 24 hours a day. What are my plans for today? And there's a doing and the being into step 11. Before I do, what's my beingness like? What's my spiritual condition before I head out the door? Because I can do a lot of things wrong in a particular day. The intent was to do right, but I did them all wrong. Why? Because my beingness is not right. I'm not connected. So picking out a shirt and a jacket and a tie and the hair and all the stuff that makes sure all that's right, I'll spend two hours on that and 30 seconds with God because I'm busy. I'll catch up with God later on. Good luck. How do you think my day is going to play? So am I disciplined to the spiritual life? I either am or I'm not. And this is where I kind of, we, we start to split the room down the middle as to who, who's all in and who isn't. Now, for new people, you get a pass. You only know what you know, and you're being taught, hopefully, by awakened elders. And 90 meetings in 90 days doesn't make me spiritually fit. It just means I'm a meeting maker. But meeting makers don't always make it. 
And getting different colored chips doesn't get me spiritually fit. It just means I'm sober and I'm experiencing some of God's grace. Spiritual fitness is completely different. And we talk about emotional sobriety. My response is called growing up spiritually. What's that look like? How am I doing? What's my behavior like when no one's around? Am I worshiping God on my own when no one's around? Am I making time for God besides morning and evening? What our book talks about starts off with evening, goes to morning, and sets us up on how to open a day and tells, tells us how to close a day. Am I seeking God when I don't have to do the morning and after evening? Am I seeking God throughout the day in everything I do? Am I experiencing the beingness in God in me? Am I experiencing oneness or duality throughout the day? How much fear do I have throughout the day? How much thinking do I got going on throughout the day? How present I am I to this moment? Step 11, very narrow road here. We've, I've talked about that a few times. It's a very narrow gate, very narrow road. Can you pass through the eye of a needle? And you don't need money to do that. You don't need a new car to do that. You just need a willing spirit, willing to surrender to this God and do God's work. We, we go right past. We go right through. Right? Chips don't fit through that needle. You know, Double-digit sobriety doesn't pass through the eye of a needle. An awakened spirit will, whether you have 10 days or 30 years. Am I surrendering to this God? And sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on time in AA. Big deal. Bill Wilson had six months when he 12-stepped Dr. Bob. Ebby was showing up with about two or three months when he got Bill. Bill Dotson ran out of the after three days, stepped out of the hospital and began this path. Time is irrelevant when it comes to the power called God. The process of recovery from my own experience has been one of transformation, not a linear one. Transformation of the, of the soul, in the soul, that gives me a renewal of the mind. I have a God mind. I see with God's eyes. We get to see with God's eyes. We get to hear with God's ears. And we get to speak God's words. And we treat women with respect. We treat men with respect, not predators in AA. Not looking at a mark in AA and being grateful. If the room is dirty, the room is pristine. It's my home. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm going to bring to it rather than take from it. Because every day, I was talking to a gentleman before, every day above ground, sucking air, member of AA and sober, is a great day. But if I'm running the show and I'm relying upon me to do everything, I'm going to have good days and bad days and up days and down days and sideway days. And who wants to do that? I'm living all over page 52 and I'm not recovered. And I ought to be by the time I'm in step 11. My experience with 11 has changed, by the way. Um, when I first came in, I remember the first time I prayed. I was living in Minnesota and uh, prayed sober with a real intent I was really sheepish and reluctant to hit my knees because I cleared up a little bit. I had prayed in the back of a hallway June 23rd, 1980, when I was separated from alcohol for the last time. I had prayed a couple of times, but here I am, and I'm making my first real sober prayer. I remember I was really reluctant and sheepish to hit my knees because I kept thinking, God's going to find me now. Now he caught me. Oh, that's where you've been. You're going, ain't? I couldn't find you. You're in AA. And now you come to me like I escaped God for a few weeks. And I kept thinking, how do, how do I now, sober, get on my knees and ask this guy, call God, to help me? How dare I? What audacity. 
And I kind of closed my eyes and I'm wincing and I'm making prayer and I got up off my knees and everything was okay. And my prayer life began. Not to the depths it would go to with the 11 steps, but it began. With a mustard seed of willingness, we will move a mountain. And I was willing. The 12 and 12 talks about times we don't want to pray. We just don't want to pray. Pray anyway. And when I want to pray, pray. When I don't want to pray, pray. It should be, it ought to be, and it is for me the most important event, event of my day. It is the most important event of my day. We start off in my house with prayer. Marion reads her scripture, does her books, does her prayer. I do mine. And sometimes we pray together. It is the most important event of the day for both of us. For me, in my house, we worship God in AA. But it began with the prayer. And it started to evolve. And then you get a sponsor, and they start marching you through the 12 steps. And we start to get out of the way. We experience the death of self before the physical death. And little by slow, the ego gets grinded into dust. And all my conceptions and perceptions about God, all the belief systems I came into AA with about God start to get removed. And I start to experience a conception of my own understanding, my own conception of God, my God. And what has happened as a result of the 12 steps, I'm back to the same God I was given as a child with a completely different belief, different experience with it. Same God, different experience, different belief, awakened. And I went as a kid naive to, okay, God, you say God's good, I believe God's good, to a place of despising God and everything it represented, to a place of worshiping and surrendering to it with complete trust in it. That's the spiritual transformation. I am my greatest enemy. My mind is my predator. So I don't trust it ever. Intuitiveness is a different thing. I began going through the work with the sponsor, and as I, I, as I started to progress, I got a life of meditation. At the beginning, I was praying in the morning and praying in the evening, and meditation in the morning. The first time I meditated, I was taught by a woman outside of Alcoholics Anonymous who belonged to an ashram, and she oming and chanting, and she gave me great lessons. And she says, you're going to start on two minutes in the morning. I said, well, that's a snap. I can do two minutes standing on my head. Lord have mercy. It was for forever. <laughs> two minutes went on and on. And she gave me this little timer, and I'm peeking at it like another minute to go, and I'm like, and what I was experiencing was all the noise in the head. I got dry cleaning to do. I got to go to the gym. You know, I got things to do because I'm Pete Marinelli and I'm such a busy guy. I had no life. I was doing nothing. And so I stayed on two minutes for a while. But they taught me, this woman and my sponsor taught me the importance of posture and breath when it comes to meditation. We don't talk a lot about meditation in AA. Now, it's the studying of the material but it's also about sitting still, not listening to me, giving God his time, giving attention to this power called God rather than going in with my intentions and being still and see what comes to me. And sometimes it's as simple as being still and being a humble servant and waiting for direction. And sometimes we will get information. I've had incredible life-changing experiences just through the practice of meditation. Well, two minutes became five minutes, five minutes became seven minutes, and it became eight minutes, and I didn't need a timer anymore. It was in a rhythm. The, 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 the meditation life, I, I call this a rhythm to it. 
There's a rhythm sitting in. There's a rhythm with the breathing. There's a rhythm to life. It's God's rhythm, not mine. But posture and breath were key here. And every book I've studied, they talk about lots of things when it comes to meditation. The one constant is breath and posture. Breath and posture. And I can't meditate watching TV or having earphones in, listening to, you know, music. I can't listen to Snoop Dogg and be spiritual. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? Uh, it's the only rap guy I know. I, you know. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> you might be spiritual if you listen to Sinatra. That might work out. I don't know. Um, Why well, they turn fast in this place? Holy smoke. <laughs> Can't meditate my legs crossed or my arms folded. Can't have the TV on. It's sacred. It's just me and God. It's just me and my creator. The power that gives me the ability to stay sober. The power that gives me faith and hope. It's my time to sit and be still with no distractions. Have you ever spoke to someone, you're having an intimate conversation, and some guy just walks in and takes over the conversation, and you want to say, excuse me, how do you think God feels if, if God had a human quality for a moment? If he's trying to have my attention and I got the TV on. So I give God the respect and the honor it deserves. So posture and breath and I have a place. I've created a space and a place. It's a little altar in my bedroom. And I have a little altar with all my stuff on there, all my, all my AA stuff, my religious articles, some Eastern things there from Eastern beliefs that I, that I, that I uh, work with. I have my cushion, my mat. I have a picture up above my altar that's very important to me. It's a cathedral. It's a beautiful picture. And that's my place that I hit my knees and I start my day that way. I always, throughout the day when I work, I'm in a treatment center business and I do it sometimes just for survival because it's, it's the business is the business, that I will get away from the office and I will get in my car and take a drive and I will park my car and I work with a religious practice. And I will go through these beads, make some prayer throughout this process and then I will sit in my car for 10 minutes and then go back to work. I do that every single day. I will disappear. And then I go through the rest of the day and I get home and I'll make time for God. And I write my inventory and review my day. On paper, there's questions in the back of the book that ask us to review our day. I answer those questions. What I've been moved to do for it's a bunch of years now, that's how my, my uh, uh, lineage does it, we just write column inventory at night. If you answer the questions, are fine. We just, my whole lineage writes column inventory. That's what we do. And I sit down and I review my day. And I look at what corrective measures could be taken. And I surrender it and I release it to God. Any amends need to be made. And I will make amends as soon as I can, usually the next day. Sometimes there's a phone call made. Hey, I think I was a little harsh with you. Whatever it is, I'm cleaning the street so I can continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Our book says, we've entered the world of the spirit. I don't get free room and board. My illness doesn't care how often I speak. My illness doesn't care how long I'm sober. I need to seek God. God could and would if he was sought. What's that look like? A couple of things in our 11th step. 
It says on awakening, we think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. Again, my book is saying, don't use your mind to figure your day out. I ask God to direct my thinking. Asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. On these conditions, we can employ our me mental faculties with assurance for after all, God gave us brains to use. My thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when my thinking is cleared of wrong motives. Proper use of the will and managing my own life, two different things. It's the first time in my book, based on my spiritual fitness, that I can, we start to use the mind rather than the mind using me. But how spiritually fed am I? How's that look? Who am I accountable to? How's my car running? My consistency, my accountability, and my responsibility. How's that look? And if I'm not sure, I will seek counsel from others. As I go through my day, I pause when agitated or doubtful. My pause doesn't have to be a beat. My pause can be a while. And I will seek guidance if I'm unsure about something. I will seek guidance if I'm agitated or doubtful about something. I will first turn to God. Sometimes the pause is just a pause. Sometimes the pause is a lot longer. I wait. And the most difficult thing for someone like me to do is be patient and wait. My meditation starts to take on a life of its own. And I look forward to sitting in meditation. There was a time in, in my journey where I got attached to how long I was sitting in meditation. One minute for every hour, 24 minutes, not a minute more, not a minute less. Then it was 20 minutes. And my sponsor said, when did we stop worshiping? When did we start worshiping the clock rather than God? And so I released that. I just sit in posture and breath. And I wait, breathe, work with breath and be still. Sometimes I take a word or a prayer or a phrase into meditation, and then I release it and be still. For the longest time, I was doing no reading in the morning, because we can get into reading 24 hours a day, daily reflections, 10 and 11, this book, that meditation for men, meditation for women, meditation, if you're not sure yet, all these different books, right? <laughs> and we can start to worship that stuff, and I stopped all of it. And for years, I was just working with Pasha and Brett. And very recently, on my journey back to, uh, to Mass, back to church, I'll read some scripture in the morning. It's a new rhythm. And so I'll work with this. Certain chapters I'm very, very happy reading. I look forward to reading them, even though I've read them 100 times. It's like my big book. And so I'll work with some scripture, and then I'll go into prayer meditation. I've evolved to three times a day prayer meditation for years now. That's how God has disciplined me to the spiritual life. Interesting thing happened to me uh, as a result of meditation. Without having expectations of this ever happening, chop wood, carry wood, to get the, uh, the plow to field, make it fertile. My mom passed away when I was 14. You guys have heard me say this a million times. She committed suicide. She was one of us. And I um, always wondered, like, What's this thing called heaven? I'm not really sure I believe in it. And how come I get a chance to say goodbye? And just a lot of things, a lot of riddles that were out there. And what I have found out is one of the best gifts I've gotten besides sobriety is knowing that I'm known by my creator. Knowing that I'm known by my creator, that my creator knows when my heart is breaking, knows when it's joyful, knows when I'm struggling, knows I have riddles, and knows when to answer them because God's timing is perfect.
So I'm working in meditation, and um, I wanted to at least say goodbye to my mom. I wanted to hold on to her, and she just died. And I was furious with God for years. And it was a peace, that thing that we all have, that pain, that thing or things that we walk with that never get resolved. And we go through the steps and we leave it alone because we think the past is forgotten about. Nonsense, it'll come alive. It will lay dormant and it'll show up. And it was the block, one little block between me and this power. There, there wasn't enough transparency yet. God knew that, but the ground had to be fertile for this life-changing experience. And I was in meditation, as I do every morning. And I got something that came to me. It looked like in this meditation, I was sitting uh, 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 on this beach. And what comes towards me is my higher power, all in meditation. And as he walked towards me, literally out of his chest appears my mom. It was explained to me by my sponsor. It was the, the, the idea of oneness with us and God. It wasn't two people walking. It was one. How we are part of that power. We're physical extensions of that power, which is non-physical. That was presented to me, all in meditation. And as my mom and my higher power walked towards me, I stood up, and I was an eight-year-old little boy. God knew between ages of eight and ten how I was being violated from a distant relative and how eight to ten was just tumultuous to, at the very least for me. I was watching my mom getting taken off to asylums. My dad was out gambling. The house was upside down. I didn't know which end was up. And I got this distant relative who's having his way with me and I'm feeling dirty and threatened. It was just nasty. Well, God knew that. And in this meditation, I became this eight-year-old kid. And guys, we know... No matter what's going on, when you're eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, and mama hugs you, everything is great. You're untouchable. You're gold. There's nothing like the hug from a mom. God knew that. And my mom knelt down on one knee and held her like any mom would hold a little boy. Because that's what I didn't get when she died. This is all in meditation. God knows my heart. And she stood up. Now, what I was doing, this was about nine years into sobriety. What I was doing faithfully, I was just moved to do it, not from the mind, but from spirit. I was just moved to do it, to go, go to church and light two candles, one for the sick and suffering and one for my mom. Offer a candle, release it, make some prayer and go. Once a week, faithfully, I do this for nine years. No attachments to it. Well, God knew that too. And my mom stood up and I became an adult and my mom held on to me as a man now. And she was weeping with tears of joy. And my higher power stood next to me all in this meditation and put his arm around my shoulder. And we made eyeball to eyeball contact. And I never experienced this kind of tranquility or peace or love and contentment in my life. And what he said to me without saying words, without uttering words, was she's okay, she's with me. I was taken into this. And when we stand in that presence, we're taken in. It's another dimension, which is what our 11th step talks about. We go from the dimension of what we know to the sixth dimension, this other dimension, this sixth sense, I should say, completely different from what is tangible. And we can only experience that. My mom pointed off to the horizon, to the left and to the right. And as she pointed off to the left, 
she pointed to all these lights. And she pointed off to the right, and she pointed to all these lights. And there were hundreds of lights. Uh, I always describe it as a, look like a Manhattan skyline. You know, when you're flying into the city at night, and it's all twinkling like that. She held on to me once more. She walked away, and her, my higher power became one, and I came out of meditation. I don't know if I was in this meditation for two minutes or not. I just don't know. Time was not there. Not in this dimension. And when I came out of meditation, I was weeping and confused because I couldn't make sense of all of it. And so I have a sponsor, so I call my sponsor with nine years sobriety. And I said to him, here's what just happened. And I told him about the lights. And without missing a beat because he was awake and present and had a life of prayer meditation that he was passing on to me. He said, Peter, haven't you been lighting candles for your mom now for about nine years? I says, yeah. He says, well, she let you know she got them. They've been received. My life flipped for good on that particular morning. I will never be the same. Even with my doubts and anger and my struggles and my fears, I will never be the same because underneath all of it is the consistency and the, 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 the conscious contact that I walk with with this power called God. When it's hitting the fan, if I go underneath, I can grasp my God because I know my God walks with me. I walk with him, which means I walk with you regardless of what you've done. And I will build a bridge because my God has built a bridge for me and for you. He answered my prayer but not in my time. See, I pray, I think, okay, God, offer, give me something. And God said, you're not ready yet. You can't handle this yet, like we do with children, but it will be answered. When the intent is pure, when I approach this God, completely flip my life around forever. So when I talk about this power of God, you can believe, not believe, you can have your God. I, it's none of my business. But I'm here to share a story and tell you a story as to what God has done for me, taking me from a scrap heap, despising him, and continue to build bridges for me to cross over. And he waited with open arms to say, come with me. And once I'm there, to say, now go back in and bring the rest of my kids to me. And we go in AA. We go in legions. And most of us, our intent is pure, to do it for fun and for free, in service, to go grab a drunk and bring him back to God. I know that's what my purpose is, and sometimes I'll ruffle feathers, and sometimes folks don't want to hear me. Sometimes folks do want to hear me. None of my business. My job is to be a spiritual warrior and go serve God. And he put me in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know where he's going to bring me tomorrow, but tonight I'm here. And what do I do with all of this? Take it home? No. I give it away. The whole thing gets given away. You come to my house, I give you all my food. That's what we do in AA. It's called sponsorship. It's called a 12-step call. It's called service. And the pure, the, the most pure way we give away this message is in sponsorship. And we can have a 12-week talk on sponsorship because that has gotten twisted upside down. What sponsorship is, is an elder awakened member of Alcoholics Anonymous taking the new person through the 12 steps in the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. Not to call me once a week, not to go to the diner, not to shoot the, the, the breeze about what your day was like. We can do that later on. My job right now is to take you through the 12 steps. Almost slipped.
during the 70s and 80s and now into the 90s and where we are now, uh, what are we, 2013? Therapy and treatment centers. We allowed an AA to twist AA upside down. We allowed that to happen because the information in some treatment centers contradicted what we're doing in AA and we rolled over and let it happen. Sponsorship is someone you can talk to. No, it is not. Someone you could identify with. No, it is not. Someone who can be your friend. No, they are not. They are a teacher. A sponsor is someone who's had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 12 steps and is here to teach you or give you what they have had via the big book. That's what AA did at the beginning. And that's not to ruffle feathers. If your feathers are ruffled, tough. I'm here to talk the truth. Accuse me of telling the truth. Uh, don't accuse me of telling a lie. That's why when AA started, Cleveland, Ohio boasted a 92% recovery rate. That's not a hard number because it's hard to gauge that. But 92% at the beginning, and Clarence Snyder was the guy spearheading sponsorship. It wasn't let's go to the diner and talk. It's let's do the steps. Before you go open up your mouth to have a spiritual transformation. But treatment centers sent people in here with 90 days, 60 days, talking about their feelings, talking about their issues, and used a group as a sponsor. That's not sponsorship. And we have to take the hit, those of us who've been around a while, for rolling over and allowing that. Sponsorship. Your protege. You bring him in or her in to teach them what you've been given. Now, if you haven't had a spiritual awakening result of the steps, call it what you want if you want to call it sponsorship. It's not what AA talks about. It's not what the big book talks about. See, our recovery rate's 100% for those who follow the information in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know where it is for those who do what they want, make up the rules as we go along. So we follow the information in the big book via a sponsor. Sponsors a huge responsibility. My lineage works with the spiritual law of consent. I don't ever go up to someone and say, you knew I'm your sponsor. He didn't ask. There's got to be a surrender in that. Can you sponsor me? And then we'll work. Spiritual law of consent. And then I'll take that new, new, new person who's working with me Take them and start giving them the steps, and then we'll do a 12-step call. And then we'll go look for a new person, AA. And then the people who come to me to sponsorship, I'll say, well, why don't you go ask the guy I'm sponsoring? And let them fly a little bit with someone new. Pass it on. Sponsorship, usually responsible. I have someone coming to me and asking them, asking me, really what they're saying is, can you save my life? I'm in trouble. Can, I can't stay sober. Whatever you said resonate with me. Can you save my life? And I say, sure, meet me at a meeting. We'll go to the diner. That's not good. That's not good enough. It's unacceptable. Meet me at the diner. I'll have a big book and we'll start. Hang out after the meeting. I'll give you your first step aside. I'll give you a reading. We'll do something rather than let's hang around. And if I think sponsorship is taking people to meetings, hopefully I'm taking to where messages is being given away. That's just cost service. It's not sponsorship. We need to read up on some of the old times what they did, guys like Clarence Snyder. It is a great thing we belong to. I said this a few weeks ago. I knew people in here. You guys are going to be carrying a torch when they have to bring me in here in a walker or a wheelchair one day maybe. 
What's my area going to look like? I'm depending upon new people. I'm dependent upon God. But you guys are going to be the messengers. How are we doing with this precious gift that has been handed off to you or in the process of being handed off to you? Is this a nightclub? Is it a dating service? Is it just to collect chips, see who's hanging out? Or is my life dependent upon this meeting, my God, my 12 steps, all three sides of the triangle? I'm going to treat it as sacred. And if the rat pack I'm running with thinks different, let them think different. I'm here to serve AA and get my spiritual wings and keep the dogs away from the women and get my little babies, the, the women, and keep them away from the men. Let them get well. Right? It's sacred. I have about two minutes. I work with lots of books. Quick story behind this. Sometimes we get books, we buy them. You walk out of Barnes and Nobles with eight spiritual books and you want to levitate. You know? And uh, they don't, you don't read them. And I tell folks that's okay. You're not there yet. There's other work that has to be done and one day you'll see a book and you, you pick it up and it resonates and you can't get out of it. This book was suggested to me. Um, I had just moved to Jersey and uh, I look at it, read it. I love this man, nothing. One night, I finished my inventory, my prayer and meditation, and it said, psst, read me. And uh, I couldn't get out of it. But before I start reading, uh, I'm a typical alcoholic. I read the ending first, see how it turns out. And uh, I was just browsing through it, and I came across this little, I guess it's a poem. And I almost wept. i never forget, it was around 1130 at night. I almost wept, and that was the catalyst to dive me into this book. And I says, he's not talking about Alcoholics Anonymous. But he is. And if, I, if God moves me, I try to read this to close one of these deals. It goes like this. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. And that is my Alcoholics Anonymous. I pray it's yours. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for having me. Thank you.